0: Hey guys, Robert Mays here. On today's Ringer NFL show, we're chatting about some of the lessons that we learned both league-wide and from specific teams, during this year's draft. As always, we're brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where there are a ton of great shows for you. We now have two versions of the Recapables coming to you every week. On the latest, the Recapables Westworld, David Shoemaker welcomed Allison Herman to chat about episode two and break down some of the most popular fan theories that are bouncing around the internet. And of course, the Recapables Billions remains in full swing. Also, if you didn't see the news from earlier this week, it's really happening. Binge mode Harry Potter begins June 11th. And if you think you've heard Mallory Rubin get excited about something before, I guarantee you've seen nothing yet. I promise. Also, go to the ringer.com to check out a ton of awesome stuff from this week. Alison Herman had a delightful conversation with John Mulaney about his wonderful new Netflix special. And his rare status as a king of stand-up happy to rule the stage and earlier this week ben Lindbergh wrote a beautiful piece about playing the new god of war not long after losing his father which really resonated with me please go read both of those stories and much more at the ringer.com all right with that let's get to the show welcome to the ringer nfl show part of the ringer podcast network i'm robert mays joined as always by kevin clark All right, buddy. We're a few days removed from the end of the NFL draft, and it's given us some time to kind of get some perspective on everything that happened. So we're going to talk about some lessons we learned.
1: I got to tell you, Robert, uh, we have five months to think about the lessons we learned from the draft.
0: (laughs) It's a weird time in the NFL podcast world, but here we are. We're we're here for all of you. So we're going to do one more show about the draft again, just kind of the... Bird's eye, you know, few miles high view of what happened and what. You know, not necessarily talking about what who had a good draft, who had a bad draft, but just some things we can take away from it. Because in my opinion, it's always been hard to grade drafts as soon as they happen. I think it's a worthwhile pursuit for people who are super invested in the draft. But for people like us who don't spend all year watching these college players and evaluating them, I think it's more about. What we can see from where teams want to go, where they sure. want to pivot, where the league wants to go, where it wants to pivot. Sometimes in ways it doesn't, and neither do the teams. So that's what the value I see in this. So with that in mind, let's start with the big picture lessons. Yeah. You wrote about some of this earlier yeah. this week, and you wrote about you wrote something very insightful about the draft. And not only what it can tell us about teams, but about the philosophical direction of yeah. the league as a whole. And what, what was that big picture takeaway in your mind? There are two leagues. And they
1: they coexist, and sometimes they're in the same building. The <laughs> sure. Cleveland Browns picked Baker Mayfield. That is, and you and I have talked about this off the pod. That's a modern football miracle in this sense. He is yeah. below the sort of six foot two threshold that, that teams have historically liked. He came from an air raid offense that five six years ago would have been considered sacrilegious to to pro style offenses. He, um, you know, he didn't have this sort of Sam Darnold blank slate attitude that that teams seem to like up high. And yet he was not only the number one pick, but if you believe um, some of the Browns beat writers who checked in with other uh, facilities around the NFL, he was the consensus number one pick or at least the majority number one pick. And. I think that shows you how much progress the league has made. Russell Wilson dropped to the third round. Drew Brees, you know, going back even further, dropped to dropped to the second round. Um we haven't seen a first overall pick like Baker Mayfield before. And then yeah. you have yeah. stories like the one that came out of Cleveland. Before we get to the other places, let's just stay in that building where Alonzo Highsmith who I, is extremely respected uh, executive and yes. scout, uh, a guy who made his bones w- w- in the Packers, and obviously John Dorsey thought enough of him to bring him to Cleveland. I think he's obviously extremely talented, but he tells the Canton newspaper basically he they didn't draft Rosen or he didn't like Rosen because he just didn't like something about him. He met the UCLA volleyball team at a airport gate. It's incredible. I'm not. I didn't actually get the payoff of that story. I didn't really comprehend exactly the timeline of events there.
0: But it, it seems like there's something missing from that story, right? Like he goes and talks to the girlfriend and she says, nah, he's kind of an asshole. Like if without no, that piece, I, I'm not sure about this. Yeah, but I, I don't think that piece, that piece exists. No, me neither. No, that's what I'm saying. Clearly something's missing.
1: I like the only way that story, there's a, there's a bow in that story is if she looked at Alonzo
0: Highsmith and said, do not draft Josh Rosen, which didn't happen. So the thing about Rosen that has fascinated me over the past like two weeks is that he went from this millennial who was overly curious, which we all considered a good thing, to now it's swung so far in a, like just in a further direction that it seems like he's a high school movie villain, just tipping over lunch trays and like putting kids in lockers. But it the, when, when did that come? Like where is that coming from at if all? Some, by the way, way,
1: if someone came up to me at an airplane gate, I, I would not react rationally. I have no idea what's
0: happening right now. I don't want like, to do anything at an airplane gate except get on the plane. This is amazing. And it just doesn't make any sense to me that it's all spilling out now that he's this terrible dude. He makes Jay Culler look like a good guy if you know, all this stuff okay, is true. Okay,
1: so I want to back up and say that I think Baker Mayfield's going to be a better player than Josh Rosen. I also think sure. Sam Darnold sure. is going to be a better player than Josh Rosen. Um, Josh Norris who does a great job, was tweeting out some stuff about um, Albert Breer had this in his his sort of notes column uh, this mm-hmm. week and it was that the point was made I'll read here for a second, the point was made and it's been made to me over and over by coaches this is Albert Breer writing he's spoiled, entitled and not made for pro football life. Okay, let's let's leave that Aside for a second. I'm just and, curious about
0: what pro football life is, but continue. Well, yeah, we'll
1: get to that in a second. But Josh <laughs> Norris's commentary on this, which I thought was right, uh, spot on, is that the more he looks at the draft process, the more he thinks it's about identifying the flaws and identifying what a player can do. 100%. And what I think is really interesting is that Bill Belichick, have you ever talked to the people who worked under Bill Belichick, he actually takes the approach of tell me what a guy can do, not what he can't do. And I've heard that from four or five people who've worked under Bill Belichick, that he just wants to know, I mean, that's sort of the do-your-job mentality. What can he do? And then we find the role for him. Yeah. So you you find out what a guy can do. I don't want to hear that Josh Rosen isn't ready for football life or whatever the hell that is. If you have him in your building, figure out what he can do and let him do it. I don't know what pro football life is. And these are the scouts. I, this is not on Brewer. These are the scouts and the coaches, and Brewer's is just a sure. messenger here. Pro the football? same thing happened in uh, what
0: Mike Santo wrote this week.
1: I know a lot of guys in the NFL who I would not consider ready for pro football life who are successful pro football players.
0: Yeah. And it just also you think about some of the GMs in the league and like, would you ever consider Steve Kime like a new agey, you know, kind of like nice guy that's not like a football head? Like, um, he's not Thomas Dimitrov like no. Steve Kime is like one of the most footballish people you could ever have a conversation with. And he's the one that traded up for Josh Rosen. Right. He's not like a feel good guy. Uh, it's it doesn't make any he sense. for feel- like, all I like stuff. I like Steve Kime. He's a feel good guy. Oh, of course he is. But he's not like it's not as if Steve Kime doesn't come from a football world is sure. what I'm saying. Sure. He, he very much comes from a football world. I mean, he's a former college offensive lineman who's a lifetime scout. He didn't come in a back door. He's not somebody that would kind of eschew football values. That's what I'm saying. I totally agree
1: with you. Kime is as football guy as it gets. Yes. And he was okay with Josh Rosen. That's exactly what I'm saying. So, I don't know. I mean, it, th- this, this whole industry has just gotten completely ridiculous. The whole draft industrial complex. Is there anything else you want to say about that? Just absurd. Oh, so we didn't actually get outside of the Cleveland Browns yet. <laughs> sure. Because Let's drift out. number fire had an incredible number that I saw a fire number from number fire they said that the average pass drop back results in seven yards per play in the NFL. The last five years, the average run is four yards and you just extrapolate that over a game and over a season. It's incredible. And I think a lot of teams know that Philadelphia Eagles know about that. That's why they sort of devalue the running back position in, in a lot of ways. Um, I thought the, the Patriots devalue their running back, but here we are. They, they took a first round running back. And so I guess the point I want to make about that is we thought we were somewhere with the running game, and there were five running backs taken in the first 40 picks. And so I just think that we are in a very weird shifting age where philosophies are clashing up against each other. And I think that we are I, I think that we don't know as much about the modern game as we thought we did. And I think that's what we learned in, in this draft. Um, I think that the, the sort of culture war, so to speak, between old school and new school is going to get heightened, especially, you know, this is the first year when player tracking data is going to be available and teams are g- going to be able to build models. I, I just want to explain, if you don't know, I, I've written about this a lot, but the concept of analytics in football, it's been extremely limited until this summer. Because before this, teams were not given the sort of speeds, the, the routes, and all of the things that their opponents were doing, so you really couldn't build a model unless you were guessing, or you were going off the very, very limited next-gen stats that are available on the NFL's website and only for skill position players now. You're basically, if you're a forward-thinking team like the Eagles or the Falcons or or the Rams, you're going to be able to build models where you're going to say, hey, does speed matter for a tight end running an out route? That that sort of thing. And you're going to be able to build coverages based on that. How fast is this guy compared to the guy we played last week? We're going to be able to build coverages on that. You're going to be able to, hey, should we start this linebacker instead of this linebacker? People don't realize how new school things are going to get. And so I think generally this old school philosophy and the new school philosophy and all of the things that they encompass – are going to start clashing more and more over the next five years. And I think that this year is the start of something um, extremely important.
0: The data I 100% agree with. The running back value thing, I feel like, is told, is very interesting. Because you're right, in a, in a vacuum, you know, it's easier and better to pass than it is to run. But I also think that running backs aren't necessarily just runners anymore. And you also have to take into account the fact that in order to have the most efficient type of passing play available to you sure on your play, menu play you have to run the ball sure because it's all it's on bot play action so i think kind of marrying those things is difficult and we'll see you know maybe i value that too much but i the, what i've seen from teams like the vikings and the rams and the falcons a couple of years ago and you know what the 49ers did well at the end of their tenure and mm-hmm. what the titans i assume want to do this year play action is a huge part of what a lot of these successful nfl teams do offensively and then when you think about new england obviously you know they have they have a ton of running backs because they want to throw the ball to their running yep. backs. Yep. So it's just it's tough. It, I That's why those lines do get blurred. And I think that's why finding answers in this is not always easy, even when we do have a set of data that says you should not run the ball as often anymore.
1: Well, also, I just think that making any broad declarations about value and saying, oh, well, Bill Belichick would never take a running back in the first round or whatever it is. I mean, I think that's all fool's errand because Bill Belichick understands distressed assets more than any person in the NFL. So if he says uh, Sonny Michel is going to win me two games with his, with with whatever skill he saw, he's just going to take him in the first round. He doesn't care. I mean, one of the things we've seen over Bill Belichick's career the last 5-10 years is if he thinks a guy is going to help him on special teams he'll take him in the third round. He doesn't care. Lombardi talks about this all the time. He we, Belichick has jobs to fill and he fills them. He doesn't care about our or the modern game or or analytics
0: version of value. He cares about winning games. It's very interesting that you say that, because that plays very well into my big takeaway from this year's draft. And that is that, in my opinion, as we've talked about the evolution of offensive line value and analysis and everything over the past few years, this draft has started to mirror some of those conversations. And the Patriots are a great place to start. Isaiah Wynn, according to almost everybody that talked about the draft, was going to be a guard. He mm-hmm. was six foot two in a little bit. You know, he didn't have that long. He, his arms were longer for that sort of frame, but he was still a small tackle from college. He played left tackle at Georgia and he was going to move inside the Patriots by all accounts are just going to throw him at left tackle. They have a couple guards, you know, they just traded for Trent Brown. So if he doesn't play left, he's going to play right. So for the most part, they view Isaiah Wynn as a guard, as a tackle, as a six foot two and a half tackle. And that just doesn't happen very often anymore. But I think too often, over the last five or six years, as teams have tried to find offensive linemen in a world where it's harder than ever to find them, they've fallen too easily into older modes of thinking and older draft tropes. Mm-hmm. And as we move outside of that, I think it's going to serve teams well. And the first thing that you can do with that is say, Isaiah Wynn is a fantastic pass protector. His awareness is wonderful. He's such a just smart, overall, complete pass protector. And it's really hard to find those. Who cares if he's not six yep. five? Let's put him at tackle and just figure the rest out later. It's more about an understanding of how to play the game, an ability to identify twists and blitzes and a marriage of angles and understanding the mental game with the physical game and getting where you need to go in time, not as fast as you can get there in the wrong way. Mm -hmm. And that's what Isaiah Wynn's going to give you. And I think that's what the Patriots saw. So that's one part of it. And then the other part of it is that think about how much closer Guards and tackles have gotten in free agency and the money being given to them. Yep. You know, we have a world where Andrew Norwell is getting upwards of $13.5 million, $14 million a year. And now look at how many interior linemen went high in this draft. You have a couple centers going in the first round. You have a guard going sixth overall. The Colts pick two guards in the first 40 picks. And then you just so many that went earlier than you would normally expect. And I think that that's a sign that teams are just saying, We need players at those positions. Those aren't marginalized anymore. And I think that's a smart way to think. And the other side of that is where are so many of these players coming from in those top 50 or so picks? You have two Notre Dame linemen go in the top 10, an an Ohio State lineman go in the first round, an Iowa lineman go not long after that in the top 50 picks. I just think so many teams are understanding what position you really need these guys to play, not putting them in boxes just based on their overall build to go play those positions. And three, there are schools that produce these guys better than most Mm -hmm. just based on the way they play and the way they're taught. And it's easier to find players from those positions, and those are the guys that were drafted pretty high this year. So I just think all three of those things combined for the most well-thought-out, best strategies about offensive line value and drafting that we've seen in a couple years.
1: Yeah, and and it also goes to exactly what we were talking about earlier which is that if you think you can win with Isaiah Wynn in the first round, just take him. Who cares? And there's a lot of ways you can win in the NFL. Salary cap management is one of them. I mean, having I mean, look at at the rate free is going, having a having a guy like
0: Isaiah Wynn cost controlled is 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 a value because, because of the Because think way, about uh, tackle. That's what I'm talking tackle about. Market free agency, yes. If you can bring him in as a 23rd overall pick and just say, all right, you're Nate Solder now and pay him, what's Isaiah Win going to make in his first year? I mean, call him a million, maybe? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, considering Nate Soldier's about to make 15, uh, that works for you. Value is value no matter where you get it. Yeah.
1: Speaking of, the Packers drafted a punter and a long snapper.
0: <laughs> that seems more like a Patriots move than it does a Packers move. The
1: all-time best... The all-time best draft thing was when there was a really good long snapper from Navy. Yeah. And, like, in October of the year before, everybody was like, yeah, was a Belichick pick. And everyone joked about it, and then Belichick just
0: reached and picked him. I'm shocked that Loretta didn't end up in New England. I mean, it's the most surprising thing about this year's draft. I, I would have put money on it, like, instantly. Why Loretta? Because he's from Richmond, and, like, he had that he had lacrosse background, didn't he? Yeah, probably. I mean, the, he just seemed like yeah. the Bill Belichick choice. Joe Cardona
1: played lacrosse too.
0: There you go. A I mean, f- that's all you a need to know. Fifth
1: round long snapper. It's amazing.
0: He's still there, though, isn't he? Of course he is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Right. He's gonna go to mo- pa- he's gonna go in the Patriots Hall of Fame
0: <laughs> tomorrow. If to Belichick
1: Belichick's gonna
0: <laughs> waive the five year rule like the <laughs> Hockey Hall of Fame did for Wayne Gretzky. Coming up, we'll get to some of the lessons we learned about how a few teams view their roster and long-term plans. And we'll also welcome Danny Kelly to chat about some of the hype teams that have emerged from this offseason. But first, it's the smartest move of the week brought to you by ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Kevin, one of the other things, just kind of trend-wise or approach-wise that we saw from this year's draft is a few teams that were content to say, we're already good at this, let's get a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to always justify that when you have needs and there are spots on your roster that really need retooling. But at the same time, it can really help your growth as a franchise to say, let's just beef up this part of who we are and ride with it. And we saw that a few different ways this year. Obviously,
1: adding Bradley Chubb to a defensive line with Vaughn Miller, a pass rush attack with Vaughn Miller, is as good a positional stacking move as you can get. Adding Calvin Ridley to the Falcons offense, which obviously has Julio Jones on one side of it. I mean, both of those moves are how you get good. It's also just good preparation. I mean, think about all of the injuries that'll happen. Think about all of the contingency plans you need. If you have two elite players to position, you're pretty much covered anywhere.
0: Yeah. And you look at Connor Williams going to Dallas, where they've spent a lot in resources on offensive linemen recently. When you're trying to build your crew of employees and you're trying to build your business, it's not a bad move to say, what are we already good at? Let's get even better. I think that's one way you can cut through the market is to develop this very firm, understandable identity that people can latch onto, And teams that do that often get rewarded for doing it. The Jaguars did the exact same thing by drafting David Bryan in the first round. I think too many teams say, well, we're set at this spot. Let's not take the best player that we can because we don't need to get any better. And I think getting better where you're already good never really goes wrong. I mean, the Jaguars have done that in free agency, too. I mean, they added Mm -hmm.
1: Malik Jackson and Clay's Campbell in back-to-back seasons. They just want defensive line depth because they understand
0: that throwing resources at one position group works. The smartest move of the week was brought to you by ZipRecruiter. 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter find a quality candidate through the site in just one day. Try it free today at ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNFL. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNFL. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, bud, we talked about some of the large-scale lessons that we learned from the draft. But every year, in my opinion, draft weekend also provides a chance to glean some information for how individual teams are looking to change in both the short and the long term. So when you looked at some of the moves that individual franchises made last weekend and tried to figure out what path they want to go on, who jumped out to you?
1: The New Orleans Saints. Okay. Because, and, and yeah, let that, me tell you why. that's the lie. truth. We know what their path is now. We know what their path is. They traded up to get Marcus Davenport... They basically are openly admitting that they're mortgaging the future, which they, they've done a couple of times in the Drew they Brees They do it every era. year,
0: but it's great. It's one of my favorite things. They, they, I love consistency. They clearly think they're a player away.
1: They clearly yeah. think that. And the defense made huge strides last year. They know that Drew Brees is, at, at, at Drew Brees' age, and with the fact that Drew Brees, by the way, at one point had what we thought was a career-ending injury, and he's been the model of health since then. He's had some nice injury luck over the past, what, 12 years? He's 39 years old. And I think when you get into that time frame, you have to know it's time to maximize your roster. You have the chance at the Super Bowl, so you trade up and you get Marcus Davenport, you mortgage your future a little bit. I mean, who knows how long Sean Payton wants to be in New Orleans, who who knows how long Drew Brees with his two-year $50 million contract is going to have that window open. And so I was, you and I were both scratching our heads at the trade initially, And maybe we'll continue to scratch our heads. But the one thing you can't say is that the Saints have an identity crisis because they know they are
0: all in this year. My first I'm going to do two teams with my first one and cheat a little bit, but it's similar in terms of identity. And that's with the Eagles and the Steelers. And I think both of them know exactly who they are. The Eagles, it's just like Dallas Goddard's pre-draft comp. I remember Lance Irwin said this is Zach Ertz. Like The fact that they drafted him is hilarious. Yeah. It's like, oh, we just need another one of those. And it's really cool. I love that. I mean, you just drop him in onto that offense like, oh, my God. Now they have another tight end that they can use to just screw with formations and personnel and just totally bewilder teams and how they should combat these guys. He's a perfect eat player for that Eagles offense, just in terms of positional malleability and giving them the chance to do so many different sorts of things while using the same players. And I love that. And and the fact that the Eagles know who they are has been a huge strength for them. And the Steelers did the exact same thing. I mean, you could almost, it's like clockwork every three years now, after they've kind of changed in the first round, the Steelers are going to draft right now, like this version of the Steelers. The first round is completely set aside for incredible athletes who will figure out later. And Edmonds, the safety, the you know Terrell Edmonds, is exactly that. You know he follows that Bud Dupree, uh, T.J. Watt sort of mold. And then in the second round, it's wide receiver time again. Mm-hmm. I mean, every couple of years they're going to draft one, and he's going to be good. And then when it becomes time to jettison one of them off because they feel like they can find another one, it's going to happen. It was just amazing that like there are some of these teams, and New Orleans is the same way, where it's like, oh, yep, here we go again. It's the same thing every year, and there's some comfort in that, and I enjoy it.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, What do you think about Doug Peterson's new memoir, Fearless? Hey, I'm into it. Get that money while you can, Doug Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson's emergence from sort of a middle-of-the-road coach I think we both probably thought was boring maybe 18 months ago maybe even more recently than that, he is now just like, I'm the big balls guy.
0: It's amazing. I love the fact that he's owning it. Good for him. He's like, also, I
1: mean, he's also like, he seems most excited when like David Akers goes after the Cowboys fans. Like how there was a shot where like Howie Roseman and Jeff are like, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm tepidly supporting this and Peterson just loved it. It's amazing
0: how fast he's kind of embraced the Philadelphia ness of it all. Oh, because it. again, a year ago, could there is there anybody less associated with Philadelphia or Eagles fans than Doug Peterson? It, it just felt like he was kind of like an aw shucks kind of dude, and now he's like married with the Eagles. He's culture. a Philly guy. He's yeah, now a Philly guy. Just, well, he. I mean, the fact that he was there for so long.
1: No, I get it. He, he was in
0: Green Bay too. He's not a Green Bay guy. Yeah, but even that he now was there he's in Philly, Philly guy. for that many years, you'd still never associated him with like a Philly culture. I mean, they, he's just not a Philly type guy no, outwardly, it's, but it's but he's adopted it.
1: He, yeah, he exactly. Is, he is, he is and good for home,
0: a Philly guy, which is really yeah. hard to do. Yeah. And yeah. seamlessly when you win a Super Bowl, I think, I think it makes it easier.
1: All right. Who's your next team? Ken? The New York Giants, because a lot of Giants fans have been coming at me. And they've been kind of getting after me for saying that the Barkley pick in the long term will be a bad pick. And and obviously, I still believe, I mean, I said it earlier in this podcast, I still believe that in five years, they're going to want that pick back. Maybe in two years, they're going to want that pick back. If you look at some of the more recent top five picks as far as running backs go. Oh, by the way, Robert, I don't know if you got this, but I got it. There were, I said that the Jaguars would want the Fournette pick back because Fournette leaving the lineup had no noticeable change on their their offense and people were like well you know you could say that about Zeke Elliott because you obviously have Jalen Ramsey to, and you to swap in there right of course you would but they were like well there's no one there for for the fourth pick for the Jaguars a couple of people said that to me have you have people ever heard of Deshaun Watson
0: I'll also, like that's not how the draft works. Well,
1: I mean, no, I mean, I, I I used the example a couple of days ago of if if the Cowboys had drafted Jalen Ramsey instead of Zeke Elliott, they'd be better off. And then I just abstractly said the Jaguars would probably want their pick back. And people were like, "Well, who are you going to draft, smart guy?"
0: I don't know. There's a bunch of guys a that are looking pretty decent. A I bunch
1: mean, of guys who probably wouldn't have a. a Zero sum impact over the course of the season. I think Fournette's a good player, but I'm just saying the offense, the running game got better when he left, when he got hurt. I'm just saying, I'm not saying
0: I'm just saying. I, I understand, the, I, I understand their point to some degree, but I also think all right, what Derek Barnett's pretty good. Like I know he went ten picks later, but that's not how it works. Also, Corey Davis is going to be pretty good. Uh, yeah, Jags just drafted a wide receiver. I really,
1: I, lo- I think the Jaguars' brain trust is really good. I think the Jaguars are. Really, I don't mind the Fournette. Really tech, just to be clear,
0: but I also think that's not the reason to panic. I don't pan
1: mind it, it but it, I mean, I'm just saying we're talking about running backs getting drafted. I think that both Fournette and Elliott, both those teams would would looking back on it say, "Well, we're going to go another direction." If there was a redraft, that's all. Okay, but what I want to say about the Giants is, I think there's a case to be made they could be a with the identity they built in the draft, which obviously is the Dave Gettleman-Hog Molly situation, you take Barkley to establish whatever whatever run game there is to establish with, with Eli Manning. You take Will Hernandez at 34, who was sort of a nailed-on first-round pick at one point. You know, I was just listened to the Movie Sticks podcast. They couldn't believe Hernandez was there. You get uh, Carter, a linebacker, defensive tackle, B.J. Hill. I think there's a case to be made that the Giants could be better this year than people think. Do you do you do you think there's any case for that? I, I, is a short term Barkley hit is a sensation his rookie year, and things look good. Is there any case to be made in your opinion?
0: Not really. Okay. You think? Hey, you, I, th- you think still, do I you think have... there's too
1: many holes? Or you think the Eli yeah. thing is? You think I, the Eli I, thing is, is no, too I mean, big I to think overcome?
0: It, it probably starts with just a lack of Eli enthusiasm, but I also think that a lot of holes are made. Okay. I mean, even if you get Solder and Hernandez, which is great, I, I think, mean, think Barkley, Barkley could
1: be a really good.
0: Rookie, I oh, think I, he, totally I think he'd be a great rookie. Listen, there's a chance that there's a, it's a Saquon mania and they they take over and that's really fun. But you also like Eric Flowers still probably has a chance to start on this team because you don't have another tackle even though you sign Nate that Solder can't really happen. Can it? so well it kind of could man, and that's the problem. So there are they first of all. Even if you think Brett Jones is an upgrade over, you know what they've had at center recently. I know he's dinged up a little bit last year, but he came back. I mean, whatever. It's I'm not going to get excited about Brett Jones. He's a savior for the Giants because he has to be. And that their defense still worries me. I like James Batcher. I always have. I think he did a really good job in Arizona. And this idea that the Arizona defense is still going to be good just because of the whatever inertia is there from their last three or four seasons is silly to me. I mean, He's a really good defensive coordinator. I just don't like the talent they have on that side of the ball. I really don't. I just don't think there's, ne- there's that much there outside of the established stars. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm, I still have my concerns about I think that it's team. By I understand why. I understand your point and how you could start making that argument, but I'm not ready to go that I way. I think the buyer's remorse
1: on Barkley will start in two years. I think he has a chance to be. I mean, I think, would you pick him
0: right now for Rookie of the Year? Yes, one hundred percent. I have too. a rookie fantasy draft, and I have the number one pick. I haven't even thought like it was instant. I'm one hundred percent going to pick him. I mean, there's not even a conversation. There's no one else that could even come close. It's a dynasty league. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. I'm going to enjoy the Saquon Barkley life for a couple of years here, but yeah, I think that there are still too many holes. And I do you also have, do you think have the first pick. I do. Yeah. Hmm. I'm 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 excited. I'm looking forward to it. But uh, here's my other thing, and I've thought about this in relation to my team and some of the other you know teams on the come up. Hopefully that are going to be fighting to just get to the wild card. The NFC is loaded still. Mm -hmm. That that second tier is really really good. And I just there are like four or five teams I would pick before the Giants. We're getting way ahead of ourselves. But when you think they're going to be better than people think, I mean, I just know they're going to be terrifying. They're they're not going to be three and thirteen. No, I agree with that. It's they're going to be win some games twice in early. I
1: think they're going to win some games early. Barkley's going to be a good rookie. They're not going to be a tire fire. That's all.
0: Yeah, I, they're just way down the list of NFC teams I would even start getting excited about. Not even with Barkley, I'm going to watch him every week. It's going to be appointment TV for me. But overall, I just think that the roster is not where it needs to be for them to even be slightly exciting outside of him. Who's your next uh, draft philosophy? You learned a lot from. We talked about this a little bit right after the draft, but it's, I'm just going to come back to it because it's the thing that stuck with me the most. And that's the Colts and and just kind of the added, like their revamp of their overall attitude and kind of how they built their roster. And this is year two for Ballard. And I think that he had, he's made a conscious decision to try to rebuild what that team is at its core. And Nelson does that to go get that monster guard that they're going to put on the other side of Nelson in the second round, a lot of front seven players they're really trying to change who they are. And I'm curious to see how it works. Matt Eberflus is a first time defensive coordinator, but I really like him. He was the linebackers coach in Dallas. And I think that he did a fantastic job there. So the transition to a little bit of a different defense, you had to try to find some players to fit that transition. So it's kind of twofold. It's about fitting your personnel to scheme a little bit more than you had in previous drafts while also trying to get a different type of player into your building and, I think it's smart. I mean, they got pushed around consistently for years, and it just seems to me like the days of them drafting a 5'10 wide receiver in the first round are so long ago after this draft. It really is a departure from what those teams have tried to be. I mean, to trade down as much as he did, understand that it's more about an influx of a certain type of player than it is about one player at the top of the draft, I think that's a smart way to build your team right now. And I just came away thinking that they have a chance to be better. I mean, obviously, it's completely tied to luck. But if you're going to build the rest of your team around him in a certain way, I like this way.
1: Football Outsiders guy named John Kinsley did a deep ball analysis. I don't know if you saw it this week, and I did not. He came up with the watching every deep pass pass over 16 yards uh, of last season, came up with the best deep ball passer. And it was who Robert? Oh, that's a great question. It was different last season. It was Jacoby Brissett. Wow, that's interesting. And he had he tied for the NFL lead in accurate incompletions on those passes. Sixty-five percent accuracy, thirty-six percent completion percentage. Um, that's very really hard Pascal to do. Was number two, by the way. It just shows you. Just I'm not, obviously I don't think Jacoby Brissett is is the new. Brett Far fear, but I'm just saying that it just shows you how much of a failure the Colts offense has been that you can have that big of a difference between those two things. Um, I just, I think the Colts have a lot of holes. Do you think they could be any good this year?
0: I think it's going to be tough because like, just like you, need, you said, you need I mean, Lu- Andrew Luck at, at absolute full speed, which I just don't yeah, see for 16 Yeah, but here's the thing, and, and you mentioning that about the deep balls is interesting to me for this reason. You could look at the Colts roster and you could easily say, Well, I mean, they just don't have any receivers. Why did they go get a receiver? They eschewed that in order to build their roster in other places. And I think that is a good decision. You could easily look at a stat like that and say, God, I can't believe they did nothing to upgrade the receiving core. But I don't mind that. I think that's the last thing you need to do. Because for years, they've gone the other way, and it has not worked out for them. So I don't mind it at all. It just It's a conscious choice to go this way instead of the skill position player, let's revamp it approach to things and I don't mind it whatsoever. Yeah, totally agree. All right, that's all we got there. We're gonna bring on Danny Kelly now to break down some of the teams that we're getting excited about now that the dust has settled from the off season. Danny, how you doing bud? Man, I'm hanging in there. It's uh it's
2: a post draft era now, so it's kinda it's kinda nice. The weather's yeah, getting better.
0: We're gonna see you next week. I'm excited about it. Oh yeah. It's gonna be awesome. I know. It's been a while. But uh yeah. So you uh Danny, we're gonna kick this off with you because you wrote something <laughs> this week that both frustrated me and made me very proud of you. And yeah. it was about how after the Bucks draft and after this offseason there's a lot of promise with their <laughs> rebuild. So you're not your first team here is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yeah. that you're getting excited about. Can you please lay this out for me before I tell you why you're wrong and then 3 months <laughs> later agree with you.
2: I want to preface this with the fact that I, I approached the, the Buccaneers thing completely dispassionately. Like I, I wouldn't say excited is the term I would use for this okay. team. All right. What's say, the term, Danny? I will say, logically speaking, I think they've done a good job of addressing the holes that they had. I want to I give you guys some numbers on the Buccaneers defense last year. I don't know if it, it kind of flew under the radar how bad the defense was. They're horrendous. The Bucs, the Bucs were dead last in DVOA, dead last in yards allowed per game. Dead last in yards per play, dead last in sacks, dead last in pressure rate, dead last in sa- uh, tackles for a loss, and dead last in third down stop rate. So essentially, all other, other the most important that, defensive though, things. You're just
1: looking, you're just looking <laughs> at the negatives, Danny.
2: <laughs> and that's not to speak of like the five or six other categories where they were in the bottom five or whatever. So basically, you know, when you look at how terrible they were in so many areas, you have to look at what they did dispassionately, which I tried to do because, again, I'm not going to be like standing for the Buccaneers this year necessarily. I, I just think that
1: we have enough of you know, my, my
2: prior mistakes. Yeah, they have the chance to to get to be like average on defense, which I think could help them a lot. And I think that they could be a contender. So that's basically where I'm going with this. I like, you know, that they added Vinnie Curry. The Jason Pierre Paul thing, I think, has the upside to to help them as a pass rushing team where they were terrible last year, I think. The Vita via pick is interesting because it puts him next to Gerald McCoy, and I think that's going to be a cool interior. I think the sure. the Bo Allen, Mitch Unrein, you know, those are two quality defensive tackles. They're getting better again where they need it to be. And so um, combined with, you know, taking two corners that could both play early on, you know, it
1: just looks like a team to me that got better. It's just going to be real interesting for me uh, when – you see the Bucks get average on defense and they lose their games via bad Winston
0: turnovers. <laughs> turnovers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There yeah. are so many ways this team could disappoint you. Trust me, I'm the one who knows. My, <laughs> I, the, this, the Twitter reaction was hilarious, by the way. I, I will probably get excited about them in like three months. But again, <laughs> my hesitation about this, the Via pick is problematic yeah. to me in so many ways. I and got excited really, about
1: the Bucs and then Robert
0: get, hit me with the Via truth. Yeah. Here's my problem with the Via pick more than anything else. I think that the value just in a vacuum to pick that type of player with the 12th overall pick is not good. And right. then it gets even worse when you consider the specifics of this situation. Bo Allen and Mitch Unrine are the perfect cheap options to give you what Vita 2 is going to give you. They literally just did it on the cheap in free agency, and then they spent the 12th <laughs> overall pick on a similar skill. I'm that just drives me crazy.
2: I definitely get it because... In college, he was sort of more of a pass, uh, of a run stopper than a pass rusher. But I think are they paying that that premium because they see him developing into like a top tier pass rusher? That because I How think you that's do that, at that big, Though,
0: who's ever done that? I mean, and maybe Haloti Nada has done that. And like, if you can say one guy, that's not enough guys. <laughs> I don't know, we'll
2: see, I, I yeah, I like to pick a lot, but I definitely kind of get the downside too, so to me, he'll be one of the more interesting guys to watch. I really like him, but you know, maybe let that's me, some Washington homerism bleeding in there a little bit. Let me throw you this alternative. Quickly, you have Danny. Washington
1: homerism you're-
2: uh, like, a little bit. I went there for a year,
1: and you been enough to become a
0: homer
2: <laughs> i well more than more than other college teams will say that.
0: Let, let me throw this out there for you Danny <laughs> let me give you an alternative okay yeah so to to move down from the via pick or to to from whatever they were to 12 mm-hmm. 7 to 12 they get two second round picks so out of that second round they get two corners and ronald jones cool mm-hmm. I, i'm a, i'm all for this i love this so instead of via and let's let bo allen start and have be a backup there how about we drop derwin james onto this team instead yeah. of chris conti or keith yes, tandy yes please. so then the offseason is jason pierre paul vinnie curry mitch on bo allen two corners that could you know throw into the mix and hopefully start for you with Brand grimes if we're already kicking uh vernon hargraves to the, to the curb which we might be and then derwin james on the back end you're a little Whoa. bit more excited about this now oh, yeah. instead of the via pick correct
2: i would yeah that would i would definitely be that's more why excited. this is crazy think, to well, me I think a lot of people would be a lot more excited about. It's kind of why I wanted to write about him because they. I feel like they flew under the radar a little bit. But if they would have hit Derwin and those other picks, then I hit think him. people would be still. They stoked. could have
0: taken him. It wouldn't have been this crazy thing. Drag him, drag yeah. him, Robert. <laughs> I, I'm no, not, I mean I'm, I definitely I, get it. I get it. It's it's. I just I, I think they could have given themselves such. A, I I totally agree with your line of thinking, Danny. Just to give yourself a shot on defense to really get better in a hurry. And they spent, they had a ton of free agency money. You know, everyone talked about the Jets and the Browns and the 49ers even. And the Bucs were just kind of sitting there as a not train wreck team that had so much money to spend. And they spent it. Yeah. And then to, I really thought they could have just gotten better in every spot they needed to if they would have gotten Derwin to get off in the back end. And to not maybe do it's that good, is just frustrating maybe to me. it's
2: good that they didn't get James because now you can avoid being excited about him.
0: No, I'll get there. All right. Trust me. I'll get there. I'll convince myself that Alex okay. Kappa, you know, that kid, that small school kid they got in the yeah. third round is going to take over for Smith at left tackle. I like Ryan Jensen. I'll be like, Oh yeah, this is the offensive line. I'll take it. And then I will somehow in August be like, yeah, the Bucks are going to win 11 games. It's inevitable. I'm it's going to happen. It. I'm just going to convince myself it. and everyone else systematically for the next three months that it's not going to happen. All right, Kevin, who's your first team? Green Bay Packers. This is just a great segment for me. Continue.
1: <laughs> we we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. We said who can be this year's Saints, and I said it could be the Packers because I just think that number one, when you have Aaron Rodgers, you're always a contender. And mm-hmm. my second team is in the same genre, just a, a a team with a good quarterback who who were had some holes. And you go cornerback on your first two on your first two picks, you get Mike Pettin in. First of all, I don't think anyone really understands I mean I guess Packer fans do Um, but when you look at the addition by subtraction as far as Dom Capers goes I mean they're going to instantly get better on defense I think Mike Pettin is a really good defensive coordinator I think you bring in you're going to hit on at least one of those cornerbacks hopefully Kevin King is healthy this year Um, you know I just think that they're going to be it's like what what Danny said about the Bucks—if they get to average on defense, I think they can make some noise. Yeah,
0: and there's a chance you get a Mo Wilkerson bounce back year. I mean, you're not banking on it, obviously, year. Yeah,
1: I mean, Robert, you picked a one of the best teams in the NFL here for your your crush team. So
0: it's not a crush team. It's like who are you hyped about after the off season?
1: Yeah, I, I thought I think there's I, only I one thought, I thought it was like under the rate. I thought it was like this year's. This year's movers. The
0: Packers oh, aren't under the radar. Packers no, I, I radar. wasn't. That's not what I meant here. mine <laughs> was, which team <laughs> are, is, are people just going to be really pumped about now okay. that the draft and everything else is over? Go ahead. And it's the Rams. Like the Rams <laughs> are the answer if we're doing it that way. Maybe yeah. I misunderstood the criteria. It's fine. But I mean, the Rams are now that they we're putting a button on the off season. I mean, there is one team that I'm not going to say one off season, but in terms of the conversation, they're the ones we're going to be talking about here for the next few months. And that's the Rams. I mean think about what they did. Like Brandon Cooks was like one of their more under the radar moves. They traded a first round pick to get him. I mean, it's absolutely absurd <laughs> the move the swings they made this offseason. I mean th- the guys on the Rams now that weren't a couple months ago are Akib Talib, Marcus Peters and Damakah Sue and Brandon Cooks. Jesus. Just like saying that out loud is weird. <laughs> Uh, It's, I mean, the, I totally think this could be a disaster. And we've seen this happen before. And when you put a bunch of guys in a room that didn't used to be there, when you had a great culture, those things are underrated in my mind in terms of player acquisition and how these influxes of new guys can kind of play with the dynamics of your room. I think that's real. And I think that it could affect things in a negative way. I also think they could be so talented that none of it matters.
2: I'm hmm. I'm curious what are they gonna do by Aaron Donald? Are they gonna give him a big extension before the year?
0: I would because if they don't, that to me could be like a
2: big deal <laughs> could be a problem
0: I mean he was <laughs> he set out a game last year,
2: yeah, I know right, so, yeah, like he just got done holding out last year, and then you sign this guy, Sue to fourteen or whatever it is, like ten plus million dollar one year deal and and he's still making his rookie deal it's that's just the first thing I'm worried about, but
0: yeah, even overall the small they, they moves still are that they made even the, like the quieter moves that they made were really good and really smart to bring Ben to bring back John Sullivan on the cheap to keep to have some stability at that offensive line in its center. Yep. The fact that they got Roby back to play that nickel corner and they didn't have to pay him very much. Dominic easily did not play last year because he was hurt. And now he's just one more like explosive element in the middle of your defensive line. I mean, everything that they did is just, in service of building the best roster possible.
2: And they got my draft crush, John Kelly, the running back. Not that he's necessarily going to be a big part of their equation this year, but yeah, of course they had to go get the exciting rolling ball and knives running back.
0: It's really fun. I mean, they're a very fun team. Again, it could totally flame out and just be an epic disaster, (laughs) but it could also just be a monolith that runs through the NFL. I mean, I think think
1: they're going to, I don't have any, I don't have any problems with any of the personalities on that team. I think that's
0: overstated. It's not, about, it's not about personalities. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think there's going to be like problem children necessarily. I just think it's about locker room dynamics and valuing guys outside yeah. of your building versus guys inside and mm-hmm. you know, jettisoning players that you recently extended. I, I don't necessarily think any of those guys are going to come in and like start pitching fits in the locker room. That's not what I mean. It's yeah. just more about kind of guys looking over their shoulder in a way they wouldn't have before.
1: Sure. And I, you know, Bill Belichick, not to just do the. Belichick Lessons podcast but I mean one of the things he's more aware of than any other coach in the NFL is guys who are upset about their contract situation and guys who are um, you know bringing in a guy that's why he jettisons guys a year early a lot of times is because he knows that quarter contract problems can bring down a team and so if guys think why'd you reward this guy not this guy that's when locker room problems do start.
0: Yeah, and then that thing—that's what Danny's talking about yeah. with Aaron mm-hmm. Donald, and yeah, no, that—that's that, that, what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. And Alec Ogletree was a captain of that team, and to trade him, dispatch Oh, I thought you a- meant uh, uh, the captain of the team that's upset about their contract. No, <laughs> so no, he was not uh, the captain all, of that team. All he angry team. Yeah, contract. I was gonna say he got a pretty big deal. He's <laughs> yeah, he's El Capitan of
1: the all overpaid team, actually.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I just think that those are the things that can creep in a little bit. I mean, it's just about valuing guys outside versus valuing guys inside. And again, I think that can be a problem. So, all right, Kevin, who's your second team? Carolina Panthers.
1: And What about him? Just like that you love DJ Moore? I love huh? DJ the, Moore. Yeah. I, I think do. DJ Moore big can vert. have big vert, big vert. Uh, <laughs> I think he can have if he is who I think he is and Who the hell knows? And if he is, who I guess Marty Herney believes he is, I think he can have transformative powers over over Cam Newton and get him back to where he was a couple of years ago. Um, You know, it's funny. I was looking at the the deep ball thing that named Jacoby Brissett, the top deep passer in the NFL, and Brissett is tied for accurate incompletions with Cam Newton. There were 19 of them last year. And I think that says it all. Um, Cam Newton can throw the ball down the field. He needs the guys who can do it. You have Greg Olson back. Greg Olson did not go to Monday Night Football. That was Jason Witten. Uh, Olson got a uh, got a deal. And then they also, by the way, did sort of reversal of what the Packers did. They got cornerbacks in the second and third rounds. They got rid of Worley. If one of those guys hits, I think people really like Dante Jackson. Uh, they brought in a new tight end and Ian Thomas. I just think that the, the Panthers are Going to be closer to what they were a couple of years ago than they were last year. And I'm not saying they're going back to the Super Bowl or anything, but I'm just saying I don't think you can keep Cam Newton down for that long.
0: It is—it's not a stretch to say that DJ Moore is unlike any player the Panthers have acquired in the Cam Newton era because they picked a wide receiver in the first round, obviously when they got Benjamin. But Benjamin is such a specific type of player. He's just mm-hmm. a tight end. He's a tight end. You're putting out there. It's a physicality thing. And I mean, think about the market that exists for. Des Bryant right now, those players just don't have the value that they used to. Because if you're going to get that guy, why don't you go get a six foot four, 260 pound tight end that can also block? It's the same thing at this point. So getting a guy like Moore, they haven't had anybody like that. Even Curtis Samuel was you know, more of a slot guy that is kind of a movable piece. You can play him in the backfield. I mean, Moore is just a different type of receiver than they've ever gone out and spent big resources I, yeah. to acquire. It,
1: it's interesting, Samuel. So Samuel presumably will be healthy this year. And the other part of it is they know Christian McCaffrey is. Christian McCaffrey can't yeah. pass block. We're aware of this. I think I saw somewhere on pro football focus. Did he have the worst pass blocking grade in the history of running backs or something? Oh, man. <laughs> no. Something it like it's, something like that. Okay, well you know what Christian McCaffrey is. You know what to rely on him for. He's a really good dynamic slot receiver when you get the ball in his hands. He can do things out of the backfield. Don't have him in on third down. You know, what I mean I think there there are complaints about, okay, you know that he's they're they're uh, they're they're running the ball if, if he's in the backfield or whatever, but you can design an offense where, where he's not a pass blocking liability. And that's that's something I think you, we know having a full off season of that will be valuable as far as that goes. The
2: Panthers' last two drafts, I think you can just if you look at it from, you know, what they're trying to do point of view, they're trying to get Cam Newton's you know completion rate over sixty percent because if you yes. you know, Christian McCaffrey, obviously he's he's a very good
0: in like uh, intermediate though, receiver. I agree with you, but if you're going to be trying to do that, North Turner is not the guy you want. <laughs> so, so well, it's kind of competing philosophies a here well
1: robert we're gonna get a completion uh, the percentage up
0: i totally agree with you but then you bring in a guy who's like entire career has been built on pushing the ball vertically it's outside deep. the numbers which is yeah. hilarious to me my i my north you, turner I, impression is now just phil hartman's bill clinton yeah that's exactly right that's what it's morphed <laughs> into. danny i 100 agree with you though and, and in terms of the personnel choices you're you're absolutely right think about how static oh, man their skill position group was a couple of years ago when you had Benjamin just on one side, funchus on the other. Yeah. I mean, it's just the same type of players. And now they've gone the exact opposite route, and, and they've consciously made a decision to pivot. When I wrote about my draft lessons last year, they were the first team to mention because it was mm-hmm. such a stark contrast to the team they had built previously. So I think you're totally right. I mean, just trying to build some flexibility and just having a dynamic element to their skill position group, and that's what they have now. Hopefully. I mean, you hope that <laughs> yeah. more develops into that guy. But obviously, this is about the ideal picture of this group. Yeah. All right. We're going to get to uh, my team and to Danny's team. But before we do that, a little breaking news. Chris Mortensen, Matt Ryan, five-year extension with the Falcons that makes him the first $30 million a year quarterback with $100 million guaranteed per Jeez. leading team sources. It's a lot of money. That's a lot a of money, bit. man. I'm just making sure <laughs> that's real. It looks real. Yeah there's, yeah, there's a blue check Breer, and
1: everything. Breer, Breer is uh, also reporting it. Wow. As, what was
0: as, the previous high? What was Garoppolo's per year thing? 26. Uh, well, he, well, was, he was, a, was, less... it was
1: so front-loaded that it was hard to...
0: Yeah, yeah. Garoppolo's mm. annual value is somewhere around like 27, 28, I believe, but he mm-hmm. only had 74 million guaranteed. Isn't that right? Like Jesus, that, this yeah. takes a jump. I mean, it is a huge jump, but it's the type of jump that we expected. I mean, yeah. with... Garoppolo, or with uh, Rogers and Ryan looming, I think this was always going to be a thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Garoppolo had seventy-four million guaranteed, which I had right, and then his annual value is twenty-seven point five. Wow. So it, this is a jump. I mean, but you, that's what you expected. I mean, if Garoppolo is going to get that on fourteen starts, what the hell is a MVP quarterback worth that, that hits the open market? I mean, it's going to be a lot more. Absolutely. <sighs> Everyone should try to be a quarterback. Yeah, God, what's Rogers gonna get? That, that's the next thing. I mean, if Ryan's also Rogers million, is angry guaranteed. at his
1: team, apparently, so like yeah.
0: he's gonna he's gonna get everything he's worth. It would be incredible if he went somewhere else for like a monster deal. Oh man, well they can just they can just franchise. <laughs> get your hopes they can out, just franchise tag him. That's right. That's
1: true. They just franchise tag him. Fra- into franchise perpetuity. tag him into oblivion.
0: Yeah, it's true. For like six straight
1: years. <laughs> that's, the reason Drew Brees got that money was because he he had in his deal. They couldn't franchise tag him.
0: Yeah. Okay. I mean, and it's... Rogers, of course, does not have that, which, again, just one more thing he's probably angry about. Alright, <laughs> let's get to our last two teams before we get out of here because we gotta leave. I, Jim is yelling at me. So, uh, the first guy, the team I want to talk about, just very quickly, speaking of Garoppolo, is just the Niners. I mean, I think mm-hmm. they were the team that a lot of people were excited about coming into this offseason. I know I was. I felt like they held a lot of the cards, and then the choices they made in the draft don't necessarily make me less excited about them. You know, their defense had up some holes, but it still feels like the choices they made on offense, along with getting Garoppolo and then going to get McGlinchey in the top ten, getting Dante Pettis to add to that, you know, skill position group. It's hard not to be excited about what they're going to do on that side of the ball, and I just feel like. What we saw at the end of last season is worth getting excited about and nothing that's happened with that offense since has dampened that excitement for me.
2: They have a really underrated... I think they have an underrated pass-catching group. I, I really like I totally agree Garcon. I've, I've been a big Garcon fan for a while. I don't know if he's not... He's not like a number one or whatever, but he's just a tough, physical, intense guy. And I really like watching him play. I think Marquise Goodwin kind of broke out a little bit last year as a guy who's more than just a speed threat. And then obviously they've got a couple other guys. I think Pettis is going to be good. Like he'll play right away. I don't know, and especially in that Shanahan, you know, scheme where he just schemes guys open all the time. Exactly. Like they're so exciting. I I I do think the offense is very exciting. Obviously, the question marks on defense. Like is Sherman going to come back and be the guy again or whatever? But I I do think that they're another exciting team.
0: All right, Danny. uh, We're gonna get to your last team, even though I'm doing
2: so reluctantly. Who is your second (laughs) team here? Well, I I. I have to kind of hype for you because I, I know that, like, whatever your superstition or whatever won't allow you to hype the Bears. But, man, I think I mean, the Bears have to be one of the most exciting teams coming into this season, right? God you know, new yeah. new coaching staff, new coordinator. I feel like Trubisky is tailor-made for, for this, you know, West Coast hybrid, that that Andy Reid offense or whatever. And I think, it's, you know, the things they've done on offense and adding Allen Robinson, um, you know, Taylor Please Gabriel... Stop. Trey Burton, it's just exciting to me. And then getting James Daniels, Anthony Miller in the draft, it's just going to make that offense better, obviously. I know. And the defense, too, I think is exciting. I've always been a Vic Fangio fan back since when he was uh, the coordinator for the 49ers back in the day, and I just think they've got some weapons on that defense. I'm a little bit worried about their pass rush. I think that's That's probably the the one thing I'm worried about. But they've got some guys.
0: The one area of that team that I have significant concerns about is the pass rush after all this yeah. is settled. I feel like the secondary is solid. They were solid last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a group of players that can just play Bryce Callahan's a solid is a decent slot corner. I like the Amukamura fuller pairing. The safeties are good. Just like mm-hmm. playing good. And then to pair Trevathan with Rokon Smith. Now the interior, the defensive line with Goldman and Hicks is just a really decent. Like, ah, God, I, I'm, I shouldn't do this. I'm doing. St- what's I going on? <laughs> what's going on with you, Maze? I shouldn't do this. It, it's here's my thing. The way that I feel about the Bears is, you know, how you can badmouth your own relatives, but no one else can. That's when you like, like, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm allowed to be excited about the Bears, but no one else can be because that's just, that, at least in that situation, I'm controlling yeah. just the the juju in the universe. So when you're doing that, Danny, I, I'm just not comfortable with it. Yeah,
2: I totally get that. I don't know. You know, I'll I'll keep it together. But to me, I'm like, just from a curiosity standpoint, like I'm really excited to watch how this kind of plays out. I think that their offense is going to be fun and they've got some cool weapons and whatever. The NFC is really, really hard and Trubisky's only in his second year. So that could, like it could go terribly, but I still am really just, it's going to be fun to watch.
0: I totally agree. And what's, I mean, you didn't even mention Tariq Cohen's name. I mean, what can Nagy do with a guy like that? yeah and, and yeah, I think the pass rush, if it let's say everything breaks right, like every move they made turns out to be a good one and every player that they draft or signed you know, reaches whatever potential. This is the perfect situation. even in that scenario, I still think the pass rush has issues. and you know if the fact that we're mm-hmm. nitpicking about what their issues are, if things break a certain way, this is new territory for me and my team. <laughs> so I'm gonna take it. All right, Absolutely. guys. I, uh, I think that's all we got. As always, thank all of you for joining us. We'll be back next week for more offseason talk. Again, we'll be in L.A. Daniel will be there. bunch of other people Woo. for some wonderful face-to-face time. But until then, thank you for listening to The Ringer NFL Show on The Ringer Podcast Network.